0: Before I get started, there's two things that I need to say. One of those things I want to say is that, uh, you know, I don't know if this is proper, you know, speech, the way, the way to go about, you know, presenting a point. But I'm just going to, I just want to tell you right away what the main point is that I want you to get today, Okay because I don't want you to miss the main point. And so that's probably not the, the most proper way to go about you know, presenting a certain you know, topic is just to give the main point right away. Usually you try to build up to it. So I'm going to do that as well. But I just want to give you the main point right at the beginning so you know what it is and so you don't miss it. Okay, So that's, that's one thing. The other thing I want to say when I start off is that uh, I, at some point this morning I was going to fix the PowerPoint. There's a couple of mistakes in here. And I, I didn't do that because charity was not feeling good. So, so that's really not a really important thing, but it is important. I don't want you to be distracted if I get to a spot and, oh, there's a typo or there's something not quite right there. And so I know neither one of these things, this is a totally improper way of handling these kinds of situations. But uh, I'm just telling you right now, I want to give you the main point, but don't be distracted by a messed up PowerPoint along the way. So uh, I did want to say those things as we got started. I want to pray one more time, and then we're going to jump into Ephesians 4. Heavenly Father, I want to ask you again that you would be with us this morning as we look at your word. And Lord, as I, I've already laid this out and presented to you, we are just simply coming to you asking, God, that you would present your truth from this passage that we're going to look at today in Ephesians 4. God, we don't want to miss what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me as I do that. And Lord, I, I know that as a human I'm going to be uh, flawed in my presentation. But Lord, I, I know that your spirit can be a part of this this gathering of of your followers so that your spirit can deliver the truth as you would want it delivered. Lord, I pray that you'd be with every person in this room, that they would have a heart that's ready and willing to listen. And Lord, if there's a heart that's hard to your truth, God, I pray that you would soften it. Lord, if there's ears that are stopped up that can't hear the, the truth, God, I pray that you'd open those ears. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be any distractions or anything that would that would steer us away from catching the truth that you'd want for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. Now. When you ask the question, what's the main thing? Like, what's the most important thing? So not just the most important thing and what I'm going to talk about, but let's, take, let's broaden it a little bit. What is the absolute most important thing in the universe? To phrase it as a science fiction writer put it, what is the secret to the life, the universe, and everything? 42, yes. Right? But now, what, what's the real center Of everything? No, don't answer yet. Don't answer yet. I'd like you to take it to just a couple passages. The first one I'm just going to read through real quick. Uh, The first one is uh, Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to put it up here so we're just going to go through it quickly. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. What is the author of Hebrews is saying? He's saying, hey, long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through what? Prophets. But now, he says, but now, let's see, there's something different. But now, he's speaking to us by what? His son. Like John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And so Jesus is described as the living word of God, right? So God speaks to us. No And I just think that's brilliant on God's part, by the way. That God has spoken to us no longer just by prophets, but so that we can know who God is, Jesus. Here He is, right? Like Jesus tells His followers. He said, if you want to know the Father, just look at Me. Right? That's what Jesus tells His followers. And so He says, "...spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world." He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, did you catch that last part there? He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So, Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Right? Now, let's go on. Let's go to Colossians now. Uh, In Colossians, he says this. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Notice the very last phrase. I want you to just think about this. This literally means exactly what it sounds like it means. All things were created what? Through him and what? For him. Now let your let your brain dwell on that for a second. Everything that exists was exists for Not just through Him, but also for Him. You exist for Jesus. Everything's for Him. Right? Everything is for Him. You exist through Him and for Him. And notice this next phrase. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Now the dictionary defines preeminence... Right as being above or surpassing all things, uh, beyond everything, and, and preeminent hardly does justice to the reality of who Jesus is. I mean, just surpassing everything. The thing that stands at the center of all things. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So notice, everything exists through Him, Everything's holding together by Him. I mean, why do your cells not fly apart? Why do the, the atoms, why do, why do the electrons, as they're spinning around, why do they not just fly off into nothingness? Why? Jesus. He holds all things together. He holds it all together. Right? Um, ultimately, this is the answer to what, what what is it all about. And what I love about this is that right at the center of all things is not an idea, Right? It's not a point. It's not a purpose statement at the center of everything. When you say, What's it all about? Right at the center of everything is a person. That's that's great, isn't it? Right at the center of everything, the center, the secret purpose of everything is not a point, is not a statement, is not even an idea. It's a person. And I love that, about what we can see in Scripture. And so this is the point of everything. This is where we're going to head. So I wanted to give you the end point first. Here it is. Christ stands as preeminent above all things. And so everything is ultimately about Jesus Christ. And this is why you see preachers through the ages have summarized what preaching is to be about by saying, preach Christ. That's what they mean when they say that. Because He stands at the center of all things. So now you have, and I'm going to do a quick review through, through Ephesians, what we've covered so far. Now you have Paul. So Paul, with this understanding, if you want to understand what Paul's about, if you want to understand what Ephesians is about, when you read the Bible, you have to understand that about Jesus Christ. So Paul, knowing that, starts off in Ephesians in chapter 1, and he, he describes who Christ is in, in history past, and eternity past. He talks about the role of the cross and, and faith, how that plays into that, the redemption that is brought about by His blood. Even down to the fact in Ephesians chapter 2, why, what's going on in your heart, and you see right there, in, even in a person's heart, as they choose to repent, as they choose to follow after Christ, right working in there is Christ himself working there. It is him who makes us alive, it even says. So right at everything. And so Paul lays this all out in the first three chapters. Who's Jesus? What's it all about? What's going on? How does this fit into history? How does this fit into humanity with different, even down to like different races of people? How does that tie into those things? And you see Christ right standing preeminent above all those things. But then Paul in chapter four shifts gears. Paul shifts gears because it just makes sense. Paul prays uh, in the very end of chapter three that we would understand that we would understand the surpassing uh, love of Jesus Christ, right? the height and depth and width, right? There's that famous passage there of the love of Christ. And so Paul prays that we would get that. And so right after he gets done praying, I want you people to get the love of Christ. What does he do? He shifts gears. He says, Amen. He shifts gears. And what does he start talking about? Well, the obvious conclusion. Because all of us, when we start thinking about, well, who's Jesus and what what is he like and what is he doing? One of the first questions that we have as people is say, well, what are we supposed to do, Right? Well, what should we do about this? How should we live? Because of this knowledge. You shared with us this stuff, Paul. What, what should we do? How should we live? And that's exactly what Paul does. He starts off and he says, I therefore, and he says, Paul, prisoner of the Lord, right? I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, hey, you've been called into this knowledge of Jesus, who Jesus is. Now I want you to walk worthy of that calling. Right? Walk worthy of that. And so, so how is he going to start? How are we supposed to walk? What's he say next? With all humility, and gentleness, with patience. And here we have it. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain or making every effort to maintain the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so basically what Paul says is, hey, you know what? You're not the only one that understands who Jesus is. There's other people, and I want you to be unified with them. All the people that know who Jesus is and understand that, we together. In fact, you find that in Scripture over and over again, that Christianity isn't about an individualistic viewpoint. It's about a we together. We are growing into who Jesus Christ is. We want to know who He is better. And this is meant to be done together. In fact, so Paul starts, the very first thing he says when he says, Hey, you want to know how you should live now that you know who Jesus is? bear with other people, right? Bear with one another, making every effort to be unified together as a people. From this he tells us why, because there's a divine oneness to things. He says there's one body, right, of people, is what he's talking about, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, right? There's one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Christ then, after this, Christ, because he has won the victory for us, Paul says, uh, he has given us gifts. So these people that are part of the body, Paul says in uh, uh, verse 7 through 10, he says he's actually measured out for us gifts of grace. Every individual person, gifts of grace to benefit the body. He's even given us people. He mentions in verse 11, he's given to his people this, this gathering of God's people, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And he's done this for the equipping of all of us so that we would be well equipped, well prepared, you know, ready to go. For what? For the work of ministry or serving other people. Right? Uh, bringing us all together. This ministry of building up the church, making it stronger, making it larger. And how long will this go on? You see in verse 13, he says, how long will this go on? He says, well, until the church is perfect. And we all know that's not the case yet, is it? Right? Amen, yes. There is no perfect church. And so this is to go on, this gathering together of God's people, getting together to say, okay, Lord, we're all about what you've got and we believe that you've gifted us in unique ways to benefit each other, to be part of this together. God, we believe this. And because we believe this, Right? We're gonna keep getting together. We know that this is gonna keep happening until you've made us absolutely perfect to a complete person in the very image, Paul says, of who? Christ. See, it all comes back to him, doesn't it? Over and over again, Paul keeps coming back to Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is gonna give you stuff so that you can be more like Jesus. Right? He's gonna do this thing here so you can be more like him. He's gonna make you more like him. Until one day we are like him. Right? Now, that brings us to today. This is what has taken us since last September. We go through all the first half of Ephesians, right? And then we started uh, chapter 4 several weeks ago, and we've been working our way through this. So now we've caught up. Verse 14 is where we're at now in chapter 4. Paul ends this discussion, and what he's been talking about in all of chapter 4 is living within the body, right? This body of Christ, how uh, God blesses it, prepares it, gives us people to equip it and prepare it to do the work of ministry. And so now what he's going to do is talk about some of the benefits of being in the body. Well, what are the benefits then? And I say the benefits is because that's exactly what he says. The results are the benefits of being this. He says, so the result is this. And so he's going to state the results. First of all, he's going to state them negatively. Right? In other words, one of the results is you're not going to be this. And then he's going to say, but you are going to be this, right? So he's going to say, you're not going to be these things, you are going to be these things. This is what the result of living within the body of Christ is going to look like. These are the results, okay? And so he's going to say, negatively, you're not going to be. Then he's going to state them positively, this is what you are going to be. And then he's going to offer a summary statement that this is what you're going to be together. And then he's going to move on to the next aspect of being and doing what God wants us to do. So first of all, let's start with stated negatively. Benefits of the body stated neg- negatively. In other words, what we won't be part of being in the body of Christ means that this is going, this is going to be something that's that's fading out of your life when you're part of a body of Christ in God's way. Verse fourteen says this: so that we may no longer be right, or in other words, the result is that we may no longer be uh, children tossed to and fro by the waves. And carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now that that so that means as a result, okay, as a result of this living within the body and maintaining this till Christ comes back, the result of this this type of way of Christ's way of doing things is that we will no longer be children. So I'm going to put up here: we won't be number one, we won't be immature. Now there are certain aspects of childhood that. I really like and I don't want to give up. I love having fun. I like being silly. You can ask my children. There's, I love, you know, there's certain aspects of childhood that I, I like to hold on to. There's other aspects that the Bible even talks about, saying you need to have a childlike faith, right? We love that aspect. But Paul's not talking about those positive aspects of childhood. What he's talking about is that immaturity. And you see that in the rest of that verse. Tossed to and fro by the waves, and so we won't be children that are tossed about by the waves and the winds of doctrine, right? And so he's adding to that the, the aspect uh, of un- instability. You will be not only immature but you will be or you won't be any longer immature, you also will not be unstable, right? Because we all know that children can be quite gullible, right? My favorite thing to do with really small children is the, uh, oh, look, you know, look, look what I can do. And I pull the finger. And they're like, oh, he pulled his finger off. Right? I also learned the hard way because I've learned to believe about 50% of what my own father tells me as a child. <laughs> he still gets me sometimes. He'll say something dead fake. I mean, just say it. And I'm like, really? What? And he's like, No. Matt, you're almost 40. You're still falling for this? You just see that look on his face. Hey, yeah, actually, right? I, about 50%, you just chalk it up to he's not telling me the truth. Right? <laughs> but I just know it. I don't know what it is. I know he's fooling me somehow. Right? But there, there's an aspect of ch- children. I might, see, my kids are starting to learn that too. I'll say stuff to them, and, and they'll go, wait a minute. That's not true, is it? No, it's not. Uh my boys have a friend who uh, is also quite gullible. A young a little boy, uh, one of my wife's friends' children, and, and he's very. I mean, you say tell him, and see they're smiling already because they know who I'm talking about. You tell him anything, he, and he's just like he, You know, they they told him one time. I don't remember if you told him or not, but somebody told him that he had a skeleton inside of him, which we do, right? He couldn't sleep. It's like a skeleton inside of me. You know, I mean, he was he was freaking out over those things. You know, but th- there's an aspect of being children that what. We're easily what tossed. In fact, this tossed about by winds and waves. That that phrase is used other places in the Bible when it's talking about the disciples were on the boat, right? When the storm came, you, you just imagine a small boat when there's a storm going on, and they talk about the Sea of Galilee is like that. Uh, that random storms would just blow in over that Sea of Galilee, and 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 here you have this this picture of a small boat on a on out on out at sea, right? And and it can be easily tossed about. And there's an aspect of childhood that's like that, isn't there? An immature aspect of childhood that that easily, somebody can sway you one way or another. They've even shown in different studies how, uh, say if there's been accusations of different things, uh, if if a, a police officer is not careful or the person questioning is not careful, you can even get a child to believe something that didn't happen and they'll think it did just by how you question them. And so there's such caution. We understand that children can be so easily swayed one way or another to believe things. And what does Paul say? Hey, you're not going to be this. Part of being in the body of Christ is that you will no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And notice, what are the things that he says? Number one, he says, uh, by the winds of doctrine, literally teaching, that's what the word doctor means. So winds, by, he says, by the winds of teaching is one thing that can be tossed to and fro by. The second one he says is by human cunning. Now, the word that's here in the Greek actually literally means by dice playing, right? Now, the reason why it's translated this way, though, is that in, in the Greek language, dice playing came to be uh, connected with uh, people who are swindlers or cheaters, right? Real cunning, tricky people, you know. I mean, even back then, they had, they had dice back then. And you know, even had back then the people having the weighted dice to try to land a certain way. And so even by this human cunning, and Paul, Paul adds this into one of the ways that we are easily swayed by, by human cunning or human trickery. And I don't think that just means from without. I think that also means from within, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But this last one here, uh, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Uh, craftiness, can, in the positive, can mean actual craft like skill, at something. But this you throw in there this deceit. And this this particular word for deceit means uh, a slightly off, slightly skewed, right? And isn't that true about a lie? Some of the best lies are almost all true, aren't they? You just change one little aspect of the truth, and what do you have? A complete falsehood. And we'll give some examples of this in just a minute. But he says, by craftiness or skill in deceitful, slightly off right schemes, Literally, the Greek word here looks like the word method, right? Uh, it's methodia. Uh, schemes are these methods or ways of doing things. And so you have this laid out that Paul says, by these three things, these are the winds, these are the waves, and what's going to, to sway you and toss you as a child, these winds of doctrine. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you that myself, that in my life, as I, when I chose to not go along with Christ's way of growing up spiritually, Right? There's been all kinds of things in my life that have swayed me. I've been like a child tossed to and fro. One of the first ones that really got me for the longest time was this. And I don't have a slide for this. This is one of the corrections I was going to make. Uh, This lie crept in. You ready for it? It's going to almost sound like the truth. Faith without works is still faith. Right? Faith without works is still faith. Now... I know, and you guys know, that if we go to the book of James, James teaches something very different. But one of these lies crept in, and, and there's some aspect of truth in it. I mean, the, the faith is, is in and of itself what faith is, but, but I've begun to believe that faith without works is still faith. I mean, I may not be living for Christ, but I know that I still believe it, so I'm, I'm okay, we're good. You know, I, And I can't tell you how much that one little lie almost sent me to hell. Why? Why? Because I was absolutely completely unconcerned with how I was living i finally I, I know i've shared this several times I finally got the the chance yesterday to to meet my math teacher from high school and I finally had the chance to tell him I, I every time I give my testimony I always talk about my math teacher that that he was the first one that planted a seed of doubt in my head and I finally got a chance to tell him he didn't remember it of course uh, he remembered I was bad, but he didn't remember this aspect and and uh and he said, of course, you know, charity's class, that was the good class. He, he kept mentioning they were the good class. And, you know, he didn't say that about my class. We were not the good class. Uh, but he, I, I told him, I said, you know what? You were, the, you were the first one that planted that one little seed of question in my mind. Right? And I've been, for years, I've wanted to tell you. I, I should have just called you and I never did. And he, I said, I just wanted to tell you. So I told him. But he was the first one that came up to me and said, he, he pulled me out in the hall. I'd done something bad again. And he pulled me out in the hall and he said, Matt Harmless. he goes, I don't, I don't think you're a Christian. Oh, it made me mad at the time. But why did he say it? Because he believed a different thing. That faith without works is what? Like James says, is dead. And so he was questioning the reality. Okay, Matt, you're saying this, but you're living this. There's a problem here, is basically what he was saying. And he was the first one that planted that little seed. That that doing wrong things, all, all I had ever learned for so long was, stop doing the bad stuff, Matt, come on. you do the right thing. What's wrong with you? know. You know. But, but he was the first one that planted that seed of like, Matt, this this is something bigger than just, hey, you need to be more obedient. There's a, there, there's a question of your salvation. Are you, I mean, you're, you're saying this, but you're not. That was the first lie that for the longest time had me tripped up. The second one, I'm going to borrow a phrase from my wife's side of the family. Okay, now I, I, had, I had bought into this lie lie, hook, line, and sinker without even realizing it. I didn't have a nice, quippy little phrase for it, but in talking with my mother-in-law, we've talked about this several times, and, and she has a phrase for it that she learned growing up. And so she's talked about how she learned this same lie. And the, here's the lie. She she put it this way. When you're good, you're glad. When you're bad, you're sad. Anybody ever heard that before? Maybe not that particular phrase. Let, let me explain what that means and how that plays out. Uh, I shared this in Sunday school a little bit today. How this played out in my life is this. Uh, it... If I wanted good things to happen in my life, right? I needed to do good things to get God to do good things for me. Okay, so if I and, and so if I chose to do really good things, God would do really good things for me. And so when you're good, things going to work out smooth. And, and if I'm bad, like this is a form. If I'm suffering, I must be doing something wrong. And so to stop suffering, I better start doing some right things so that I can stop suffering. Now, now, we know that Jesus says something totally different, doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus actually say this? He says, hey, no servant's above his master. If I, he specifically says, if I suffered, so you must also do what? Suffer. And so Christ calls us to a life of suffering following him. Over and over again, Christ tells us. In fact, he says specifically, take up your cross and follow me. Right? Die to self, follow me. If I suffered, so you must also suffer. But yet, I had the slide creeped into my life. Now, now, even as a Christian, it kept creeping in. Here's how it crept in a lot. Uh, for example, there would be something I wanted to pray about. Maybe it was a health issue. Right? Maybe it was something along those lines. And I wanted to pray about it. But now, if I, if I hadn't been very good the previous few days, I didn't feel like I could pray right away. And so I, I, would, I would take... Now, I didn't have this all laid out, you know, but this is what happened over and over again. I'd really want to pray... But I, I didn't feel like I could pray because I hadn't been very good. So in, in my book, now this is going to sound crazy. You guys are going to say, you're nuts, man. Uh, in my book, it was about 24 hours. If I could go about 24 hours not doing some bad stuff, then I, then I could pray freely, you know? you know. So for the next 24 hours, I'd usually spend some time like, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm really sorry for this and this. and this. I try to think of all the things I've done. And, okay, and if I've been good and really, you know, been pure, and, and, and the, oh, then I could, then I could pray. That's the opposite of the Gospel, isn't it? The Gospel message says something totally different. The Gospel message says we're all sinners. If you have any favor with God, any favor at all with God, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus is my righteousness. So I come to God and I can enter in with boldness into the the throne room of God, not because I've been good this week, but because Jesus Christ is righteous. And that's it. Now a lot of us will say, well yeah, of course we believe that Jesus is righteous, but but I I got at least no. You know, and then it would play out in other ways. This lie, well if you're good, you you know, uh, this this I'm still earning some favor with God would play out in other ways because then I would see there's there were certain sins that were really bad, right? And I would actually, and maybe some of you have bought into this lie as well, I would actually think of certain sins as worse and I would actually in my heart I would think at least I'm not like that. but God's word began to pierce my heart because of those because there's a specific place in the Bible where Jesus actually talks about people who do those exact things and it's not good, right? Nobody in this room is better than anybody else because of anything you've done. nobody. there's not a one person in this, there's not one person on this planet. in fact in fact there is nobody. Paul says in Romans, there's absolutely none righteous. Not one. Nobody. Nobody in this room. You will never earn favor with God. Like if you think, oh, I really want God to do this, or, or maybe it's. Now, now, my wife and I will experience this a lot because we'll, a lot of times we'll have people want to call us and, and, and say, you know, hey, we're having trouble. And, and one of the big ones that we get a lot is people who are struggling, like in, a, in their marriage or finances or health. And they'll call us up and and they'll want some, some godly counsel and we'll start talking to them. And what's amazing is that right in the middle of that trial, many people will jump in head first to do everything God wants. They'll start praying. They'll start reading their Bible. They'll start going to church. They're going to start doing all this stuff. But then God doesn't change the situation. And what do they do after a few months? They stop why were they doing all that stuff it begins to come out is why were they doing all that because they thought if I do all this stuff God will give me what I want maybe you're willing to jump in line and say I've done the same thing there's some stuff that I want God to do for me and so I'm going to I started praying I started reading my Bible I started doing this stuff because I thought if I did this stuff God would do it but then he didn't and then I was really frustrated for a long time with God right God's God number one God is God not you Number two, have you ever thought about what you're actually doing? God wants to be worshipped because He is the one thing that holds all things together. And the right place for us to be looking at Him and thinking about Him as He is God. He is the one thing and the only thing worthy of our full devotion and affection. He's the only thing that's really worth it. Everything else is going to pass away, right? So He's the only thing that's even worth our worship. But yet some of us will go to God because... Lord, I want this. Give it to me. Right. It, this is tantamount. James talks about it. He James calls it spiritual adultery when we we're praying that way. When we pray just wanting things for ourselves, James calls it spiritual adultery. You know why? It, it's the same thing as if as if my, my wife came up to me and said, Hey, I got fifty. Can I have fifty dollars? And I'd be like, Why? Well, I want to go out. Well, what, go out. What are you talking about? Well, I'm going to go on a date. Right? I mean, that's the same thing as going to God and saying, Lord, I'm worshiping this. I want this more than anything else. I want this more than you. So I'm going to come over here. I'm going to do certain things for you so that you'll give me what I want. Right? I mean, but the lies have crept in. And so i am telling you right now, I bought into that one so often. I still struggle with it all the time. There's many times where if... If during the week, if I, if I haven't read my Bible enough or I've, I've been lazy or I've lost my temper or something, I'll, I'll get up wanting to preach and I'll, I'll be thinking, I'm, Satan's up there going, man, you, you can't do this, you're, you know, you're a sinner, who are you? I mean, you, who, are you, who, have, who are you to have the right to, to say anything about the Bible? You shouldn't be doing this at all, and, and I mean, he's just accusing me. But the gospel is for this too, isn't it? If I'm going to get up here and preach, my, I'm depending in t- I need to depend entirely on Jesus Christ. Right? If you're going to hope for anything in your life, you just say, it's all up to Jesus. I'm I'm going to pray because I believe Jesus is my righteousness. I'm going to live because Jesus is my righteousness. I'm going to try to do good things, not to try to earn favor with God. I'm going to abandon that because that's idolatry. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to say, I'm going to do good things just because I'm thankful for what Christ did for me. Right? That's the law of Christ. It's the law of love. It's not about the law of Moses where we're obeying to earn. We're now obeying because of gratitude. I just love Christ. He's the center of my my heart. He sits on the throne. He's, he's, He's the one thing I care about most. But so often these lies are creeping in left and right, these deceits, these trickery. And Paul is saying, hey, being a part of a church, being a part of the body, understanding how Christ is going to grow His people, right, by gifting them uniquely with spiritual gifts of grace, by bringing in certain people into life to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, by doing these things, one of the results is going to be that you will no longer be children tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and trickery. All these things that creep in, whether it be from Satan or it be from a false teacher or it be from somebody else, these things will be limited by being part of this together thing that we have going on. 1 John 4, one says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's a lot more going on in that 1 John passage. And and John specifically gives gives a test for a certain false teaching called Gnosticism. he's, He's talking about that there. But notice that phrase, there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. There's many of them. This is a reality of what our world is like. There's there's false thoughts and false teachings and false things going on. It's not just... Some of us, we like to limit false prophets to maybe some certain, you know, guy that's going to come on TV and come teach something totally false or a totally different religion or something like that. We like to limit to, that, to those kinds of things. But anything that takes away from the gospel message is not of God. Right? Anything. Now, how are we to be stable? How are we to be not susceptible to these lies? Is it by being really smart? Man, if I if I can just be smart enough and study enough and be smart enough, then I'll be able to catch all the lies? Not according to Paul. Is it because we become old and experienced? Some people think that. Well, I, I know I'm not going to fall for this stuff anymore because I am old now and experienced and I'm not going to fall for those. No. Not according to Paul? That's not what's going to do it. What does Paul say? It's by and I put it up there this way, not perfectly phrased, but because we're living in this grace-gifted community of unified believers. That's what this whole chapter is leading up to. When you're in a grace-gifted community, that's what Paul says, a grace gifted by Christ, gifting grace. When you begin to live your life within the, the, the idea of this grace gifted community of unified believers, people who are really seeking after God together as a group, when you begin to exist in that kind of situation, there's something unique about that. And the unique thing is that this is how Jesus grows his church. He doesn't give a bunch of different ways that you can get to grow up into Christ. He gives this way as a group, a one another mentality. And so this is how Paul lays this out. So now let's real quickly, we're going to state this positively then. Well, then what will we be? What are the benefits of body life stated positively? In other words, what will we be? And so that's what Paul says next in verse 15. He says, rather, or instead of being children that are immature, instead, this is what's going to happen. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Once again, this reality of the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that he is the one thing above all things. It's all about Christ. And Paul says you get to grow up into the one thing. See, there's something that, you know, maybe, maybe you're like me. Have you ever walked into a, a big group and everybody seems to be focused on I mean, you don't want to miss out on, like, what's, what's this all about, right? What's going on here? you ever walked into a situation where everybody's looking up at the sky? Right? What, what's your first thought? Like, what, what's everybody look I, I want you know, you don't want to just be like, ah, whatever, and just move on. I mean, you want to know what's, what's the? What, you don't want to miss out, right? I mean, what's the one thing in, in the world that we live in, in this universe? The one thing is Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying the way to grow up into the one thing is this way. This is a result that you will be growing up. And so the result stated positively. Uh, I put mature, but I, I changed that this morning, so ignore that. Uh, I change it to, uh, you will be growing up. It's not that you're going to reach that maturity, because we know that that full maturity will not be reached, until, according to the verse before this, will not be reached until we we are made totally like Him. But what Paul specifically says in this verse is that you will be growing up into Christ. And so we have this idea that you will be growing there's going to be a, a growing happening that you're not going to be just the same. And this is not going to happen in conjunction with your physical growth. This is a spiritual growth we're talking about. We all come into church. We all come to be in the, the, this understanding of the gospel as spiritual babies and we begin to grow up in these things together into the one, the preeminent one, into Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think it's just a extra little statement that Paul threw in at the beginning, this idea of speaking the truth in love. Now, the Greeks didn't have a word for speaking So, the literal interpretation of speaking the truth in love is actually truthing in love. That's what it actually says. It says, rather, truthing in love, you will be growing up into Christ, is what he says. Right? So, truthing in love. What does Paul mean by that? Well, it's a good interpretation, good understanding of putting it down as speaking the truth in love. You know, the the cells in my body, they communicate by electrical impulses, right? Electrical impulses are sent down from the head, they go through the body. But in the body of Jesus Christ, truth is conveyed through what? Speech. And see, what Paul is saying, that the truth, the real truth, right? The real truth will be spoken in love. Now, if you've got truth without love, that can be brutal, can it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You, you learn that real quick. If you walk out and, you know, you know, if I walk out and ask my wife, like, hey, if I, if I put on some weight, you know, she just goes, yeah, you're... You know, <laughs> it might be true, but that's not spoken in love. You know, that's a little brutal. That's a little harsh. You know, thanks a lot. You know, uh, kids have a tendency to speak truth without love, don't they? They just have a tendency. To just there you go. There's the truth, right? But you know, the thing, the the flip side of this, all love but with no truth, isn't really love, is it? I mean, picture for yourself, somebody in a car that's driving towards a cliff, right? Getting ready to go off the cliff. They look over you. You know. Or maybe they caught, well, hopefully they're not looking over you because then you're in the car with them. They call you, you know. Hey, you can see me driving? Yeah, I see you driving. And, 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 well, hey, do I look okay where I'm going? Does this all look fine? you like my car? I mean, if you just start giving out loving comments, well, I think that you really have good intentions in your driving. That's not going to be helpful when they go off the cliff, is it? I mean, real love is at some point going to say, you're going the wrong way. You're going to die horribly in a crash at the bottom of a cliff. Right, real love is going to speak truth, and so you can't have real love without real truth being a part of that. And so Paul says, this communication within the body is going to be a true thing, right? A speaking of truth done in love. Now, very quickly, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit, and um, I'm going to jump down to the the end here, uh, the last passage. Uh, Paul says in verse 16. Let me skip ahead here. Uh, Benefits of body life stated corporately as a group. Stated corporately. What we are together. Uh, Notice verse 16 says this. From whom the whole body, right? Talking about Christ. He says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, does what? Makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is just as a summary statement to the end. This kind of summarizes what Paul's been building up through the whole time. The whole part. So I'm encouraging you to consider, number one, for your own spiritual safety to be a connected, growing part of a group of believers. Right? To go back here... Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, Beware, if you're not going to believe me, believe Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I could go to every book of the New Testament. I believe I could go to every book of the New Testament. And nearly everyone has at least one warning. And some of them are entirely devoted to this warning about false teaching nearly every book of the New Testament has a warning about this. To not, or to ignore that warning, the reality of false teachings going out into the world, that this is a reality in the world that we live in, and they're not going to make themselves apparent and obvious, to understand that, right, or, and then to ignore that is, is just foolish. But Paul's way of being the type of people that are stable, that are not like children, that easily toss to and fro, is to do what? Is to grow up the way Christ has laid out for you. And Christ's way of you growing up is not alone, but with other believers. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. Now in just a moment, let me get to the end here. In just a moment, we're going to do something known, right? What's what's the silver dishes down here? What do we call it? Communion. Right? Now some people call it the Lord's Supper, right? Same thing. Call it communion. Communion. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, to, verse 14, says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul's been teaching about the, the wrongness of idolatry. And, and he says, I speak as, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Now listen to, if you can hear the uh, Lord's Supper conversation happening in this, right? Listen for this. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? Do you hear the cup of blessing that we bless? What's he talking about? This, right? This cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a communion, right, in the body of Christ? That's why we call it that. That word that's translated communion is a word that means a partnership. Literally, that's what it means. A commonness, a partnership. And so Paul says, is this not? And so some versions uh, even put it down as a participation. It's a partnership in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a a communion or a participation in the body of Christ. As we go to do these things, we're saying we want to participate in who Jesus Christ is in His death on the cross, right, with this cup, right, with this bread. But there's, it goes beyond that communion. Just to commune with Christ is ultimately to commune with other people because the body of Christ is a group of people. And ultimately, communion is about communing with Him, communing with each other, being a part of something together. Right? Being part of something together. Growing the way God wants us to grow. Growing Christ's way. Uh, I'm going to come down here in just a second and lead you in this. Uh, Before I do, uh, one of the common things that we do with communion is to bless the bread and bless the cup. And so, Actually, let me walk down while I'm getting down here. Um, I want to bless these things because that's how Christ has laid it out for us to do this. I want to bless these things and the specific blessing I want to pray for is that this what we're getting ready to do would be meaningful to you, right? Now, Paul, specifically, I urge you several times, you know, every time we do this, I do this, so I'm not going to go into full detail, but I will say that Paul urges people that if, if, for example, if you have sin in your heart and you say, I'm not willing to repent, I'm not willing to do things Christ's way, right? If that's the situation that you have, if you're standing in that way and you're thinking, you know, I'm not ready to repent, I'm not ready to do things God's way, then I would urge you not to participate. Right? When somebody comes by wants to offer you the the the, the plate, just say you no, know, thank you. Right? Just pass it on. We're not gonna thank you anything. Nobody's looking around. We're not gonna worry about that. Right? But if you're unwilling to say, I really want to participate in the body of Christ, and I would urge you not to participate in this because to do this is saying I want to participate. Right? Doing this is to say I want to participate in the body of Christ in what He did on the cross, which means I want to participate with a group of believers I'm going to be a part of that so I urge you if you're not willing to do that if you say you know I'm not willing to do that then I would say you know what then I would suggest until you are willing and ready to not do that right so I want to pray that this would be meaningful to you in that way Uh, let's pray Heavenly Father I just want to thank you God for this day Lord I pray that you would bless this cup Lord I pray that you would bless this bread that we're going to take Lord, this is a tradition that you lay, you yourself laid for, laid down for us 2,000 years ago to do to remember what you've done. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Lord this is a communion, a participation, a, a fellowship with the body of Christ and what you've done. And so Lord I pray that this would be meaningful. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a person in this room that would not understand what this means. Uh, and and reject it, but Lord, I pray that everyone would be willing to say, Lord, I want to do things your way. I want to grow up into Christ. And I want to grow up the way that Christ has laid out for me to grow. Father, I pray that you bless these last few minutes that we have together as we do this thing. Bless this bread and bless this cup. In your name I pray. Amen.